Well, good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? Hey, listen, I hope you're excited to be here. This morning, I'm going to ask you to participate a little bit. And I know that might be a little scary, but I promise it's nothing crazy. And so real quick to warm us up, what I want you to do is look to your neighbor, give him a big high five. I want to hear the pop. Let's go. Hey, great job. Hey, there's a lot of things to celebrate this morning. You may be wondering, why is this guy making us do high fives? And here's what I'm going to tell you. Football is back. Let's go. Hey, there will not be another weekend without football until 2024. And if that's not your thing, pull out your jackets because we're dipping into the high 90s this week. Good reason to celebrate. Um, And if that's not your thing, hey, we're kicking off Proverbs today. And I'm really excited. Um, I want to give you a little backstory on how I ended up on stage this morning. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, elders. My name's Thomas Wenzel, but, but normally you would see Matt. Um, and so Matt called me about a month ago, and he said, hey, man, you seem to really love this stuff. Hey, would you want to kick us off on this series of Proverbs? And, uh, and I instantly said, yeah, that sounds great. What he didn't know is I do a Bible reading plan every year. I read cover to cover. Every time I get to Proverbs, I can't wait for it to be over. <laughs> Proverbs is not my thing. Um, and and I, I think I know why as I began to study it. It's because it exposes me. It exposes my willingness to seek understanding. It exposes my laziness. Um, it exposes my heart posture and my time with God. And you would say, why? And I would say, because it's literally hard to read. Like, have you ever opened Proverbs and tried to read straight through? It's hard to read. Um, and we would say, why? Because it's, it's poetic. It's full of metaphors and hyperboles and allegories and paradoxes and similes and irony. Um, just all the things. And each verse requires us to pause and to reflect. Um, And so if you're new here, or if you've been coming for a while, I would say the meat and potatoes of the messages that you receive at Wellspring are are grounded in in this idea of expository preaching. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a whole passage of scripture, we're going to teach through it line by line by line, um, in the hopes that we we can dig deeper into the context and we can apply it to see Christ glorified in our daily lives. Um, and so when I set out to find a passage of, of Proverbs to teach on, I ran into a few challenges. Number one, Proverbs is unique in that consecutive Proverbs seem to have slight connection to one another. So you could take four verses, read through them, you could pull out 15 different points, and I don't think you want me to talk that long. And so if we were just to read straight through, you can try this at home. I encourage you to read through Proverbs as we're going through this series. Um, But there's a lot of points you can pull from just a few verses, and they don't seem to connect. So it makes it a challenge to teach all the way through. Another thing is that Proverbs seem like promises, but Proverbs aren't promises. Uh, Proverbs entail probable outcomes, but not guaranteed outcomes. So we could take a modern proverb like, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Okay, an apple is an extremely healthy thing. Like we would want that in our diet with like fruits and vegetables. But the the truth behind that is that it's not necessarily going to keep the doctor away, right? And so we we, we can apply that to biblical Proverbs as well. They're not promises. Um, And then lastly, how does Proverbs lead us organically to Jesus Christ? 
It would be easy to think about this moralistically with the gospel tacked on on the end. You'd say, no one is wise like this. No one can do this. So turn to Jesus. Um, and, and that's a challenge as well is how do we connect Proverbs to Christ? And so I prayed about it and I read and I read and I read and I read some more and I read some more. I got to the point where I was turning to Google instead of God. And so my search bar looked something like this. It was like how to preach Proverbs or why is Proverbs so hard to read or good gosh, dot, 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 Proverbs, dot, 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 Holy Spirit, question mark, exclamation mark. Um, To be honest, I was in this like unraveling and I was like, okay, what am I supposed to teach on? And so for those of you that don't know me, I have a five and a two-year-old, and, and they're the, the biggest teachers in my life at this point. Um, they teach me something new every day. They teach me something about myself, um, just parenting that you can probably relate. We're a church full of parents, um, and if you're not a parent, you can still relate. But so a few weeks ago, we had some friends over, and, and we're sitting around the table. The, the kids, there's four kids. I have two. They had two. The kids are back in Harbor's room at the end of the hallway on the other side of the house. And, uh, and we're sitting around talking, and all of a sudden I hear, Dad, I need you. And I was like, I'm just going to ignore that like any good parent would do. It's like, I'm just going to let that go. We'll see if it comes down. And uh, a, a few moments later I hear, Dad, I need you now. And I was like, okay, this is probably something I need to check into. Um, and so I get up. I walk down the hallway. I, I, I make my way down. I'm like, they're probably just fighting over a toy. It's fine. And uh, as soon as I hit the doorway, I knew, right? If you're a parent with toddler and diapers, you know. So I hit that doorway and I said, nope, uh, turn around, nope. So I walk in and all the kids are, are around a box of Legos. My two-year-old Adeline, she's in full squat, right? <laughs> Diaper hanging out the side, touching the floor. The smell was horrendous. This is, this is necessary for this illustration. Smell was horrendous. But she could care less. She was a big kid. She was hanging out with the big kids. She was having the time of her life. And so you ask, how does this connect to Proverbs? Well, as a self-righteous, servant-hearted husband, I I had this moment. I don't know um, if, if you do this with your toddler, but I think most people do. We had this Wild West showdown. I'm staring at her. She's staring at me. I'm staring at her. She's staring at me. And, and, then, and then the words came out. And I said, Addie, did you poop? And uh, I don't know why you have to ask. And she looks at me and she goes, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. And so as a loving husband, I did what we all do. And I said, cool. And turned around and went back to the table to go to the conversation. And Stace looked at me and she said, hey, what was that about? And I said, you're probably going to have to go check it out in a few minutes. (laughs) Um, But here, listen, this is why I tell that story. Because all of us suffer from something that we often cannot see in our lives. Uh, But trust me, our spouse, our parents, our friends, anybody in community with you can see it. And that's what Solomon warns us against, and it's an undisciplined life. And so this morning, I want to tackle a theme of Proverbs. Uh, We're not going to go passage by passage. It's going to be a little bit of a uh, a fire hose of of passages. But I want to tackle a theme of laziness. This is something that Solomon preaches or teaches on regular through Proverbs. And, and there's this word that I absolutely fell in love with, sluggard. Do you guys use sluggard on a day-to-day basis? Uh, he, he, he talks about the sluggard or the lazy one or the slacker. Um, and I believe that, that God has something for us this morning because as I, I studied through this, man, I just felt so convicted in my own life of, of areas that I can use more discipline. 
And so I want you to listen to a few of these. I'm going to give you some characteristics and some proverbs, and then we're going we're gonna to jump in. And so the first characteristic is the sluggard is restless and anxious. And we would look at Proverbs 21, 25 through 26, and it says, The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. And so we see the sluggard, right? He, he, he desires to be productive, but he just doesn't go because he, he's just spinning his wheels. He's anxious. He's restless that he never produces anything. And so the next one we would say, the sluggard will not start things, right? The sluggard will not start things. Proverbs 6, 9 says, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When, you arise, when will you arise from your sleep? Hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with laying in bed on a Saturday morning. I enjoy that. What, what Solomon's saying is it's not rest. He's saying, hey, the sluggard will not get going. He won't start things. And so if he won't start things, he won't finish things. And so the sluggard will not finish things. Proverbs 19, 24, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not bring it back to his mouth. And so we have this idea that the, the slugger goes in to eat, right? Like he's hungry and he puts his hand in, but he's so lazy that he won't even bring the food back to his mouth. And then lastly, I think this one's my favorite. The sluggard will not face hard things. We see Proverbs twenty-two thirteen says, The sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets, right? It, Proverbs doesn't tell us where the lion is. It just says, hey, it's out there. Uh, I think a lot of us use fear to, to remain in our comfort zones. And I think God is calling us out of our comfort zones. And so I told you there'd be some participation this morning. This is what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. I'm going to take us on a journey this morning. We're going to go back to high school. All right. And some of you, that's a scary thought. Uh, or maybe you haven't been there. So I want you to pretend. But so we're in school. This shouldn't be that hard considering where we really are. Um, we're in school, we're walking down the hallway, we're going into AP English. That's right, we're all smart in this story. Um, we sit down, uh, we're kind of feeling things out. The teacher gets up, uh, starts to present about five minutes in. She says, all right, class, today we're going to start group projects. All right, everybody open your eyes. By a show of hands, who loved them? Love group projects. Raise them high. All right, so everybody else hated them. All right, if you hated them, raise your hand. Let's see who's not participating. All right, if you loved them, raise your hand. All right, everybody look at these people, right? Because if your hand is raised, I want you to look at the people with your hand not raised because you did all the work for these people, right? <laughs> it's the truth. It's the truth. You were dead weight. <laughs> um, listen, we all have this stereotype of who the sluggard is, right? So if I were to, if I mentioned the word sluggard in my mind, immediately comes the, the 20 to 30-year-old who maybe just graduated college uh, with a history degree or psychology degree, moves back in with mom and dad, no chance of getting married anytime soon, binge-watching Netflix, probably 10 seasons into Friday Night Lights, uh, clear eyes, full hearts. Okay, we have a couple sluggards, not as much as the first service. Um, but, but listen, this is what I want us to get at this morning, because we have that stereotype doesn't mean 
that that is who the sluggard is, right? He's not a sluggard because he moves back in with mom and dad. He's not a sluggard because he binge watches shows on Netflix. He's not a sluggard because he picks fights on Facebook, right? This is, this is the definition that I would, I would want to run with the sluggard, right? The sluggard is someone who does something no matter how good at the expense of doing what is most important. And so God says, at this moment, you are called to blank. And the slugger would say, I'd much rather blank because, and these are the wise and logical reasons why, right? You're going against the call of God. I joked about the, the Netflix thing. I joked about the binge watching thing. But and I, I think watching a show is a, a good way to connect. My, my wife and I will sit down two or three, day, two or three days a week. Um, and I, I enjoy that time. We'll sit down, we'll pick a show, oftentimes leads the conversations, and we'll watch it. Uh, but the problem is when that box pops up at the end of the show in that bottom right-hand corner and starts that countdown, 10, 9, next episode, um, and we're inclined to, to click. And then next thing we know, we're, we're nine episodes in. Uh, when we should have put our butts to bed after the first episode, so we're productive citizens the next day, right? Uh, Netflix shows us how in inclined to laziness we truly are, if we're honest. Uh, today, I'd like to expose three areas um, of our lives where I believe that we can awaken the sluggard in us all. Uh, the first is our work. The second is our relationships. And then lastly, our holiness. And so we're going to dive in. We're going to start with point number one. We need discipline in our work. Uh, I want to tell you something. You were created to work. I want you to hear that. You were created to work. Um, if, when God placed Adam into the garden, he didn't just tell him, hey, stay away from those apples. No, that's not what happened. Uh, we see in Genesis 2.15, he tells Adam to, to work it, to work the garden and to keep it. Uh, remember, God said this before sin entered the world, right? Like this was before the fall. This was before sin entered the world. And I think sometimes we, we think about work, we think about our jobs, and we, we say, hey, this is God smiting me because of sin. And that's just not true. Hear me out. And you may, you may say, hey, you don't know where I work. Or you say, hey, I got a cubicle that's in it. This isn't my full-time job. I, I, sit behind a, I sit behind a desk most days staring at a computer from from nine to five, um, but I, would, I want you to hear me out here. First purpose God had in mind for Adam, it wasn't to pray. It wasn't to start a Bible study. It wasn't to uh, stack some chairs. Those are all good things, right? His first task, we read it in Genesis 1, 27 through 28, and it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Hey, listen, God's first command to Adam was to make babies and to work. Somebody say amen. Come on. I don't think you heard me. To make babies and to work, right? Like this is a good thing. Uh, and, and what's even, if we take it a step further, what's even more awesome about it is this mirrors creation. If we were to think about God creating the world, we would say God took chaos and turned it into order. And so what is his purpose in us working was to take chaos and turn it into order. I think about some jobs 
Uh, a baker takes flour, sugar, salt, milk, turns that sucker into a golden fluffy biscuit. I mean, come on. Uh, a contractor takes raw materials, turns it into a church building or a house. Um, we think about artists take color, fling it on a canvas, turn a blank canvas into something beautiful. Think about teachers who take a ragtag group of kids, and hopefully by the end of the year, they're, they're more disciplined and they've learned something, right? Work is important. The list goes on and on, and here's why. God answers the prayer of give us, Lord, our daily bread through people. He answers that prayer through you and myself. What this means is God is active through a person's work to ensure that families are fed, shelter is provided, and that life is beautiful, right? Like we go through ups and downs, but like life is beautiful. If we take a step back to think about it, we're surrounded by God's creation. Whether we enjoy it or we don't enjoy it, there's always something beautiful to be found, and it's found through his people. It's found through work. Too many Christians despise their work and, and worship their pleasure or their leisure. Like we would say, I mean, I've been there. I say, hey, I really don't feel like working today. I would rather just hang out at home and, and rest is a good thing. But the, the problem is if we're saying, hey, we want to move to this side and we're, we're not going to work, like we're running into some issues because we were created to work. And so if we were created to work, we also have to look as believers at, the, at another uh, sub point to that is you were created to work with excellence, right? So if we're saying we're created to work as believers, we're created to work with excellence. If our job's to be done for the glory of Christ, then we must do it with excellence. Paul says in Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know what that means? Stop doing bad work. <laughs> I mean, it's plain and simple. He's saying stop doing bad work. You were created to work with excellence. We look at what Solomon says in Proverbs 18.9. He says, the one who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. Right? He's saying if you're doing bad work, like you're partnering with somebody whose intent is destruction. When we do a lackluster job in our work, what we're doing is we're, we're ruining our testimony to the world. I mean, think about it. When you go into an office and you're in a bad mood or you're just not feeling it, like, people feed off of that. I mean, same way within our homes. Like, if, if you're in a bad mood, then other people are going to be in a bad mood or you're going to bring people down. Our job is to glorify God in all that we do. And so we must approach work with excellence. Now, I get having a bad work environment can make people lose their motivation to work uh, with excellence. After all, you might think, hey, I'm not being seen or nobody's going to care or what's, what's the point. But what I want to tell you this morning is God doesn't call us to fare, right? God doesn't call us to fare. He calls us to put his glory on display. And I think we need to remember that. We as believers must pursue excellence in their work, because, not because we want to impress our boss or because we want to get a raise. It didn't work out well for Clark Griswold, if you remember that movie, if you're a movie person. Um, but we do it because Jesus deserves it. Jesus demands it of us. He demands us to work with excellence. C.S. Lewis once noted how valleys undiscovered by human eyes are filled with beautiful flowers. And, and we would say, well, why? What's the point? And C.S. Lewis would say, uh, his answer would be that God does some things only for himself. He sees when nobody else sees. And so I would say in your work, if you feel pointless or if you feel purposeless, 
Think about it. God always sees what you're doing. And for many of us, this is a new lens, right? We have to put aside our, our, our want for approval from our peers or approval from our bosses, and we have to say, hey, that's not why we do anything. Like, we are meant to do things well because we're doing it for the glory of God. So do good work. Uh, point number two, we need discipline in our relationships. Uh, this could go a bunch of different ways this morning. I told you I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dad to a five- and two-year-old, so this is very fresh on my mind. But I want to talk a little bit about parenting, and I feel like you can take these principles and relate it to your, your spouse or your friends. Um, but I think the goal of Christian parenting is, is clearly defined in Scripture, and I think Solomon does a very good, good job of, of doing it. In Proverbs 22, verse 6, he says, Start a youth out on his way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. Solomon says it well. Well, guess what? So does Jesus. Uh, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I bet you're looking at me and you're saying, Isn't that the missions verse? And here's what I have to say. Our home is our first mission field. If you're not doing things well in your home, then it's not going to go well in your community. It's not going to go well in the world. Our first mission field that God gives us is our home and our hallways, right? We must start with our kids. We must start with our spouse um, or our friends if we're living with a roommate. So if we're going to be a church that's serious about missions, and we said we are because our third B is to go beyond, and last week we set up four opportunities for you to get involved in the community and to be the hands and feet of Christ, then we must start in our homes. The problem is we're full of distractions, right? I think it's important before I jump into the next part to note there's never been a time in our history where distractions were not prevalent. The only difference is that we used to have to go looking for them. And now they interrupt us in our dinners. They, they interrupt us in our drive to work. They interrupt us when we put our kids to bed. They interrupt us even as we're sitting in church right now. You probably have your phone on you, don't you? Um, and they, they demand us. When you hear that ping, you're like, who, who wants me? What's that text? What's that email? What's that tweet? I need to set my fantasy football roster, right? Like, that's Sundays. I, I get it. And you know why? Because I sit in your seat most Sundays, and when I feel that, my attention immediately goes here, and I'm like, what just got said? Our phones have changed everything about us. Um, and I don't want you to hear me say it's all negative. It's not I would say there are a lot of positives. We live in a world that's more connected than it's ever been in the history of mankind. My parents live in North Carolina. I can FaceTime them. They can see my kids any day of the week. I can, I can talk to friends or all around the world. Even if I were back in Waco and you're in China Spring, like it's easy to pick up and we're connected at any time. If you have a problem, you can call, you can text, you can do all the things. Uh, we can learn about quasars and, and see pictures of planets, and this is my life right now. My five-year-old just geeked out about astronomy and space, and so this is what we do. We look at pictures of, of incredible things. We can learn anything at a click of a couple buttons. It's all at our fingertips. We have the Bible at our fingertips 24-7 without having to carry around a book. Man, how incredible is that? That's incredibly awesome. Um, so... I don't want you to hear me say this is completely negative. I think this is where discipline comes in. Uh, Sherry Turkle wrote this book. It's called 
Reclaiming Conversation, The Power of Talk in the Digital Age. Uh, it's not a Christian book, but I think it has great principles. And what she does is she lays a hammer down on our, our cell phone usage and how phones have completely changed our culture. Um, and I want to pull a couple of points for you this morning because here's how I think about it. Um, I think often I, I have two young girls. I'll, I'll go home. I get home from work at 5. Uh, my attention goes directly to them. Um, and so we'll gather up. We'll read books, right? We'll go to the chair. We'll read books. I usually keep my phone in my pocket. Work's demanding. Um, and so we'll be sitting there reading a book. You feel that buzz. And what do you do? You like start to reach around to try to get it out because our attention immediately goes there. Or if, you're ha- if you have a teenager and they're finally opening up about something that you've been wanting to talk about and your phone goes off, it's like, man, I've just lost some of my, my focus because of the buzz. Um, we've, what, what she would say is we've, we've turned from our flesh and blood to a digital world that leaves us empty. Um, I can see it so many times in my life, and the problem's more rampant than we think. Uh, the, main, the main point, her main thesis in this book is that the kids have lost the ability to empathize at an earlier age than, than say, we did. So at, at when I was 10, uh, I would empathize things differently than when my daughter will be at 10 because of the distraction of, of phones or screens. Um, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to, to see how this works, right? And so have you ever been sent something really funny via text? And you send back this, right? In that moment, did you look like this when you sent that back, right? Did you even laugh? Uh, sometimes maybe, yes, but, but not always, right? Like we send these back, we send back these emojis of like, like I'm crying, laughing, um, when in sense, I'm just like, this is my, my standard face, right? Like, <laughs> I'm telling you, um, it's deadening our ability to relate well with others. Like our phone deadens our ability to relate well with others. We're losing that in our relationships. Then on top of that, studies have even shown that the mere presence of a phone, I see this all the time. We'll go out on date nights. I'll even do it. I take my phone out, put it on the table, right? Uh, studies have shown that, that just having your phone in your presence will deaden the quality and the quantity of your conversation. You know Why? Because as soon as that, that person that you're talking to knows, as soon as that thing goes off, your attention can go directly there. And so I would say, put it away. Put it away. So I pulled some statistics that I thought I was just curious on my, on my, for myself. So how, many, how often does an American look at their, their phone? How, how often are we spending on screens? Um, and, and what I found from the research was uh, the average American picks up their phone every two to four minutes. Two to four minutes, maybe less. Uh, the average American spends over six and a half hours on their phone a day, right? Like, let that sink in. Six and a half hours of your day just staring at a screen. And so the problem with this is how do we impress the gospel on our children or our relationships? How do we train them up in the way they should go if we can't sit with our kids, give them our full attention, communicate deeply with them, and show proper emotion when the time comes or when it's called for? We're forsaking our first mission field of our home, and we're allowing our hearts to wander down digital pathways, and, and, and we're more distracted than we've ever been. Uh, if in the workplace we encountered uh, such a problem, right, like if you were not performing in the workplace, what would happen? you get fired, 
right? If you're not performing in your workplace, you get fired. Uh, the problem with the home is we say, hey, this is a private time, right? Like you, you don't get to come evaluate my home. But if we want to take practical steps to fix this, this is what I would encourage you to do. Evaluate your rhythms. Evaluate your home rhythms. Uh, we tend to evaluate everything in life. We evaluate our, our job performance. We evaluate athletic performance. And why do we evaluate? We evaluate so that we can correct. Um, by the way, if you want a good, godly evaluation, uh, if you didn't, if you missed the community group mingle, uh, I would encourage you to go to the website, like Matt said, get involved with the community group. We, we, we have awesome people, a lot of different backgrounds, and I mean, community groups are just a great way to get plugged into the church and allow godly people to speak truth into your life. Uh, we have to start the conversation about ridden our, ourselves of our phones there in certain periods of time. I think this is a good place to start if, if you're really feeling convicted of this. Like, talk about, like, what's an hour that we can put our phones away? Uh, my, my, my wife's on to me all the time about it. She's like, hey, just put it away. Uh, you can buy a box. I've heard this a bunch. You can buy a box, and everybody dumps their phones in for a certain period of time. Uh, I've been challenged myself just in this preparation. I started trying to put my phone on top of the refrigerator when I get home, and let me tell you, I fail often. Like, there's many days out of the week that I don't do it. And so if you see me on any given Sunday, I would encourage you, please, keep me accountable. Ask me how that's going, because I would love to be accountable to it. I don't know what your solution is, right? I don't know, I don't know your life, but I can tell you uh, we need to be intentional about, about feeding into our relationships, whatever they are, if it's parenting or if it's, it's your spouse or if it's just friends. All right, lastly, we need discipline in our holiness. Let me tell you something. People do not drift towards holiness. I'm going to repeat that. People do not drift towards holiness. If we think holiness will happen out of thin air, man, we're wrong because we have misconceptions about a fallen world. You see, we have an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and who's active in our life. And so if we think that we can just go about our lives and we're going to become more holy because without any effort, then we're wrong. Uh, I, would, I would say you're a fool. And God is there with these, these promises, like you say, well, well what do we do? And, and we look to, like, Scripture, of course. Um, and God's there with the promise. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. He's saying, man, whatever comes on, you have the ability through your relationship with God to, to seek holiness. In 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Paul continues, he says, So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bring in holiness to completion in the fear of God. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godly disciplines. Say that again. Apart from grace-driven effort, People do not gravitate towards godly disciplines. We drift more to disobedience, and we, we label it freedom in Christ. We say, hey, we can do this because, well, Jesus died for me, um, so I can do what I want. And we call it freedom in Christ. Some people need to lean in on this part. We think that just because Jesus worked on our behalf to save us, that we don't have to do anything else. And it's just not true. Uh, I want to tell you a story. As I was preparing for this, I'm, I'm a procrastinator. Um, I can tell you that, that I'm telling you, I've been convicted so many times this week. I'm a procrastinator, and I do it well. I've done it, I've done it most of my life. 
Um, I, the other night, I told you, I, or I told you, I was unraveling trying to figure out proverbs. Well, the other night, um, I, I'd gone through Friday. I work, uh, I work a job. I went to a different office to do some work. Then take a computer charger. Been working on my sermon for a couple weeks now. Um, and I got to the office, and I'm, I'm typing on my computer. My computer died. Didn't have a way to charge it. No biggie. Get back to the office, plug, plug that sucker in. Guess what? Five pages of sermon notes are gone. <laughs> and so I started panicking. Um, my wife called me, and she's like, hey, are you sure this is what you're supposed to be preaching? I said, I, I don't know. And so I got that conversation going in my mind. I'm like, Holy Spirit, like, what am I supposed to be doing? And so I stay up till 2, two o'clock on Friday night, type a completely different sermon, and I'm like, this just doesn't feel good. And I got to this point where I was so tired because I don't do that. I go to bed pretty early. I don't do that. Uh, I was so tired that I couldn't fall asleep because I was so anxious about the, uh, the sermon prep. But like I also couldn't focus on the sermon prep. So I was just spinning my wheels. And it got to this point where I was up and down so many times that I woke my wife up about 2.30. And I was like, hey, can you pray for me? She's like, hey, listen, I'm going to punch you in the face. I said, that is... That is loving discipline, though. Like, I, I was like, you're right. And she's like, you need to stop stressing out. You need to, like, you're going to be fine. And I was like, you're exactly right. And so finally fell asleep. We got it. We, we got there. Um, as a Christian, we have to keep moving the ball down the field, right? We have to keep pursuing holiness. Uh, plain and simple, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We have to quit crying about imperfections. We have to quit whining about our lack of resources and time. And we have to get to work with walking with Jesus. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know. I'm a morning person. Like, I have to get up before everybody in my house. And I have to make it a priority to sit down at the table or I'll take the dog for a walk and I'll listen to scripture or, or, or pray. And, um, like, morning is my time. And everybody knows it's like, oh, oh, dad's going to walk with Jesus. If I'm going with you, like, I'm going to talk to Jesus too. Like, that's just our rhythm in my house. Like, mornings are my time. Wife's completely different. She unplugs at night. Um, I don't know how she does it. I don't know how you go through a full day and then you're like, all right, now I want to spend some time with Jesus. I'm like, I need Jesus every single morning. Um, but we have to keep moving the ball down the field. And this is what discipleship looks like. If you look at discipleship in Jesus' days, you would, you would attach yourself to, to a rabbi. You would walk so close that the dirt's like flipping up and it's all over you. And he, if he steps in something, you by gosh better step in it too. That's discipleship. It's action. Um, you have to get off your couch, and it takes hard work. That's what we're talking about this morning. It's, it doesn't happen. It's not magic. It takes hard work. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Hey, listen, God's grace did not make Paul passive. It didn't make him passive. He said that God's grace supplied the means for discipline and effort. And every ounce of energy expended was all grace, right? Like, let that sink in. He said, he said every ounce of energy was, that it was expended was all grace. It had nothing to do with him. Grace and effort are friends. I think oftentimes we try to push them apart. We say, hey, there's grace. Here's effort. Like, we, we, we were in Romans for a long time, and every weekend we got up here and we said, hey, you're not, you can't work your way into your salvation. You can't do anything apart from what Jesus did on the cross, and we believe that. But what that doesn't say is that you get a pass to do nothing. 
The most liberating words of the Christian life were spoken on the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. That's the heart of the gospel. And Jesus said, it's finished. You can't work for your salvation. And what Paul would say is he'd shout amen. He'd say, all right, let's get to work. He'd say, hey, I'm covered. I know where I'm going, but like now it's time to work. I'm going to finish this way. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for in advance for us to do. Hey, God's calling us into greater discipline, and it never goes away. You will always be called to be more disciplined. You won't ever make it. Um, as, as long as we're here, we're, we're seeking discipline in all areas of our life. Fourteen times Solomon references the sluggard in Proverbs. Fourteen times. I gave you four. Um, that's a sign to me that we need to pay attention. Uh, so this is how I want to end. Where are you being slack in your life right now? Are you cutting corners in your job? Or are you being lazy in your relationships with one another? Or have you just thrown in the towel when it comes to spending time with Jesus? There's a sluggard in us all, and we get the choice every morning to wake up and tell them to shut up. And so I would encourage you to do it. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning when we say we give you our, our worship. We give you, uh, joy, joyfully, we give you our time and our effort. Uh, we just thank you for what you've done for us. Uh, we thank you for our church. We thank you for everyone here who sits in the seats, God, that, that you, would, you would bond us tighter and, and more unity, like Matt said. Um, God, we know that you are able to do all that is perfect and good, and, and, and we trust in your, your sovereignty. And, and we just love you. And in our personal lives, God, we would just say, hey, have your way with us. Holy Spirit, search our hearts. Uh, let us know areas that, that we need more discipline, and let us chase after those full steam ahead. It's in your name we pray. Amen.